Hello and welcome to your weekend morning brew. A more languid, laid-back, slow-listening podcast with me, your host Shivraj Prashad. I'm hoping you will add us to your weekend playlist and give us a listen. audio clip from Lockdown Song, a playful tune composed and performed by singer-songwriter and composer Sonam Kalra. I wish I could show you the video. It's quirky too, as Sonam sits on a sunny day in her lawn lamenting the hardships artists face with lockdowns and this pandemic. I present to you a sonnet with Sonam. Yes, it has a ring to it and pretty much sums up this conversation with Sonam, who leads the multi-genre Sufi Gospel project and joins me today. Sonam, I am so excited. You are the first guest on my weekend playlist. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you so much, Shivraj, and it's lovely to be here and I have to say I loved the name Sonnet with Sonam. I feel like I'm going to request the use of it at some point. I'm not sure when, but I might ask you if I can share the title for perhaps a concert that I do or something interesting. Thank you so much. And clearly Sonam, you're not one to shy away from speaking up for a cause. Tell us more about the genesis of the lockdown song. Well, lockdown is uh, is interesting because you know I kept listening to the way everyone sort of it was being colloquially used by say uh, our drivers or the the vegetable seller and they kept saying kya kare ma'am lockdown hai lockdown hai and I thought you know how apt is that because it's not just a lockdown but people are really down you know and everyone mm-hmm. was depressed by what was going on there was no sort of end in sight and even more so now but i think when it started people were also worried about their livelihoods and you know what happened to the migrant workers you know what happened to musicians so many people were affected students their studies were affected so i think i started wanting to talk about that i did sing for a few charities one was for safe in india which helped raise funds for migrant workers i also sang for vidya schools which helped raise funds for uh, slum children who go to school in vidya schools and help them get devices so that they could study at home but i mm-hmm. didn't realize shivraj that not i mean no attention was being paid to the plight of musicians i mean exactly did last on the list of non essential services and i was just appalled that this could happen because I would like anyone or the powers that be to try and spend maybe two hours without music in their lives. I mean, every Indian that we know wakes up to listen to some form of bhajan or chant or some kind of you know religious music in the morning because we are a country that is deeply mm-hmm. rooted in faith. Everybody, we are a country that's so rich in craft and textile. Even what we wear, you know, our pieces of art, whether it's khadi or whether it's an old kantha sari or a dupatta or anything, pure cotton, right? It's all mm-hmm. beautifully, they're beautiful forms of art, and we're surrounded by art in everything that we do. So 
how could you actually take an entire a huge community and something that exactly. India is known India's identity is its wealth of art and craft how could you take that and just list it as a cold non essential service and i think that's what really got to me and of course i also got annoyed by the fact that people felt that this was the perfect time to exploit artists where they would ring you up and not just me i mean i'm still able to handle this but they would call you up and they'd say oh we'll give you exposure and you know so i started talking about all these things in the lockdown song which is why i say you know there's one of the verses which says free me gavo ji exposure milega are khane ki chinta kahe pet hawa se bharega you know the old adage of all artists must live on love and fresh air and you are so noble if you do art all of that is true but at the end of the day artists have to survive and these very skilled hands were sitting at home these very these people who'd been mastering art the art of like playing a beautiful instrument or hours into the honing their skill they what with what was everyone doing now and so i think exactly. it needed to be said and i wanted to be i mean like you said i've always used my voice whether it was for speaking out for women's rights or for animal rights or generally trying to sometimes invoke compassion in people and sometimes just call them out and tell them that they need to be compassionate i think i've always felt that if i have a voice then i must use it judiciously as fair sahab said right bol ke lab azad hain tere bol zabaan ab tak teri hai your strongest the strongest tool that you have at your disposal is your voice and you must use it judiciously for good to speak out against injustice exactly sonam and i think uh, there's a lot to be discussed on your cause related work and we will touch upon that and all that you're planning for the future because clearly you're not someone to sit down and take things quietly but what most people may not know is that you have a really funny bone <laughs> what makes it tick a wicked side right i don't know what makes it tick could be hard i think almost everything makes it tick conversations like this one that i'm having with you conversation <laughs> funny people that i meet interesting people i think that I grew up in a house which was filled with creativity and fun and a liberal like my father was so liberal my mother was liberal everything was encouraged the arts were encouraged free speech free thinking was encouraged you know I'm one of three girls I'm the youngest daughter and my father always told us that look you're not equal to boys you're way better and we've always believed we are That's fabulous. believing we know I'm kidding but the point <laughs> is you know growing up in a house where you were so encouraged it was like the perfect environment for nurturing creativity individuality like i said voice and to find your own path to stay grounded to stay um, understand humility the importance of humility of compassion of kindness of giving so all of that makes i think me take and what take makes my funny bone take of course parents my dad had a really lovely twinkle in his eye he was funny my mother was funny they dealt with everything with humor we were a bit self effacing we all are i have two elder sisters but i think also just trying to find joy there's a childlike quality which i i feel i saw my mother and father both have and i i made sure i think i maybe i just it's there in all of us genetically but i think we also work hard to retain it to find great joy in everything you know and the the ability to see the lighter side in life is so important for all of us otherwise we just take ourselves too seriously now i'm going to go back to the past because i remember meeting you many many years ago you worked in advertising and you were very creative and i remember when you used to meet my father who also had a wicked sense of humor you also had a 
really wicked sense of humor and such a great voice to boot. There are some things I did find on my cloud and I know I can't play them because they're not really age appropriate that you sent around in the days before WhatsApp. But if I could ask you to maybe do one or two impersonations or impressions. I guess, you know, I've always used, my voice has pretty much been my identity. So there have been things like, I used to watch a lot of Bart Simpson growing up. So I, I could do a Bart Simpson imp- impersonation, which would be pretty much like this. It was like, hey, what's happening, dude? I'm the guy who likes to be rude, terrorizing the neighborhood. Lisa, Lisa. So there was Bart. Then there was also the fact that I liked doing, like I said, all kinds of impersonations. So I think one night when my husband was asleep and I, I couldn't sleep, I took his telephone and I recorded this character who just popped into my head in me at the time. <laughs> And I think we used to get a lot of us, we still get these calls where people call and they're trying to sell you everything from the uh, from the moon, right, to, right. I think, uh, a used car. So this woman, co- I mean, in my head, I, I recorded this this character called Sheetal where she said, Hello, good afternoon, sir. I'm Sheetal. I'm ICICICI Banks. You don't need to buy a loan. You don't need to buy a car, airplane, for something. No? सर आपको कोई कबाब कचौड़ी तो नहीं चाहिए होम डिलीवरी है हमारे पास वीसीडी डीवीडी सो आई वेंट ऑन टू डू दिस आई वाज गोइंग टू फिनिश दिस बिकॉज़ इवेंचुअली ही कीप्स आस्किंग फॉर ऑल एग्जैक्टली ऑल द वे यू नो टू टू द वेल एट राइट एट द एंड दिस द वेरी रिस्के एक्ट ऑफ सेक्स बट आई रिकॉर्डेड दिस एंड व्हेन माय हस्बैंड वाज अस्लीप आई मेड इट हिज फोन रिंग टू टेल हिम दैट आई डन दैट and he used to work with discovery channel and he was sitting in a board meeting the next day fortunately with just everyone from the office and there was no one from out of the country there but they wouldn't have understood anyway but he was sitting <laughs> there and they were all talking about this really serious marketing budget and he could hear they could all hear this voice of this woman this you know tele caller going hello good afternoon sir and they were looking around saying who switched their telephone on and what's going on and as it turned out <laughs> my husband then suddenly realized there was his phone that was vibrating and he came home and he said what did you do i said like, oh, Oh, I'm so sorry. I forgot to tell you, but you know, Shivraj, to, to his credit, I think that was—I don't even know—maybe 15 or 20 years ago, and he still has the same phone ring. So we can still be at a party. We'll still be in a doctor's room. We'll still be somewhere where this voice will go, "Hello," and you can still look on people's faces like, "Where did this person emerge from?" So yeah, and of course, then there was another one called Priyatam, but that is totally, I think, uh, R-rated. So, so yes, yeah, we're not going to go there. <laughs> <laughs> so when did the love for music really take over enough to quit your full time job and just do this So you know I think it started when I was very young I I mean I loved music and my mother saw that I loved music possibly even before I did so I started learning at the age of 4 I started very wow. young I learned you know from a everyone from a guruji who came to the house I would go to some people and I I did it and I was doing it in school but I think I was always a bit not shy but i had a different tone of voice right i had a deep voice which was not that easily accepted in india my dog's voice is you hear now since we're talking about voices they were feeling a bit left out i guess they have very deep voices as well very very vocal as well i'm going to call out to them just to say garbar so garbar doesn't mean trouble it's actually one of my dog's names so you know the names so there's garbar <laughs> yeah. chutney ladka ladki and chokra which is also we're talking about being creative so there you go but um <laughs> coming back to the voice i always felt like i had a really different voice it was a deep voice it was 
people were always surprised when they heard this very tiny little girl who had a big deep voice the nice thing was that my music teacher in school was really really encouraging both junior school and modern, and senior school and so i played the harmonium i sang um, in the you know school and school competitions and all of that but i don't think i trusted myself enough and then i went to art school and i completely gave up singing which i i mean i didn't comp- i gave up studying it seriously because art school also required the sort of time it wasn't like regular college we went from 9 to 5 and we worked we went, worked weekends you know for submissions but the great thing about being in art school was that everyone sang you know everyone had another exactly. artists have like other sides to them so everyone sang and there was always music in the canteen and so that sort of kept it alive and then i joined advertising and soon into advertising maybe a couple of years into advertising i found shubhaji as well but before shubhaji sorry i go back a little bit to say that around the 8th standard i started learning from the dagger brothers and I, they were obviously the exponents of drupa then i started learning from them and that was a beautiful time for me because it was a very pure time of mm-hmm. guru shishya love and also just devotion from the guru to the student even not it's one thing to have a student that's devoted to the guru but my gurus were so kind you know unfortunately wow. i lost one guru and then his elder brother started to teach me and tragically he died as well they died very soon quickly within i think it was just a time span of about 2 years possibly after college as i said i restarted learning from shubhaji and that was a lovely time as well and i think that's the time i joined advertising by then again the kind of hours i had to give advertising it was you know cuz advertising especially when you're in creative and you know this it's long hours yeah right it's it's long hours and it's more than long hours it's all i think everything your head your mind your heart is into creating an ad or you have to throw yourself into it completely so it's exactly. hard to throw yourself into two things even though i was managing but i don't think i was doing my music enough justice and at some point near the turn of the millennium i just decided i was going to quit and i was going to start to give this a shot you know try and do this seriously and see if i could do it seriously because i had to give it that chance and as soon as i quit uh, i think we spoke about this just before the interview started i lost my voice i lost my voice mm-hmm. yeah i lost my voice i i quit and two months into this i lost my voice i got laryngitis has very severe case then i got pharyngitis i got nodules you name it so pretty much for a year it was up and down but i kind of had this interesting conversation going on in my head where i didn't get disheartened because i sort of felt like saraswati the goddess of music was just stopping me and she was saying okay let me see now you've done this you've quit but let's see how serious you really are about this so really testing you yeah and i used to have this conversation with her and i would say you know i'm going to prove to you that i am really serious about this i also got asked by a couple of in fact one really great graphic design house to start writing for them so it was interesting cuz i was able to still do advertising writing of course you don't know the other shift shivraj when i went to art school i trained to be a graphic designer when i joined wow. advertising i joined as a graphic designer a year into graph into being a graphic designer i didn't like the fact that i was treated you know i was given these um, ads that someone else would to just execute yeah and someone would else would create them so i thought no mm-hmm. i want to be at the birth of the idea i want to be at yeah. the beginning of the ideation process and so i said to my boss i can write and he said no you can't i mean you've been to art school and you've done this degree and i said look i can do both and exactly. i forced him to do a test where the writer and i would both be given the same brief and we would write the ads together and i said you just have to do the blind test we will both hand you the ads together you will not know which one has written which ad and you have to choose and mine one and that's how i got a chance to start writing so it was you know really great that 
all these lovely things because I kind of pushed the boundaries a little bit, started to happen. So even with music, I thought I'd only take three months off. But I, even though I lost my voice, I decided, no, I was going to stay at it. And, and lovely things started happening for me. Like I said, I started freelance writing. I got to do television shows. A couple of television companies reached out and asked if I wanted to host travel shows. I think I hosted two travel shows and I hosted a car show where I test drove wow. cars like Jeremy Clarkson in BBC Wheels. In fact, this was called BBC Wheels, like Jeremy Clarkson in Top Gear. <laughs> I test drove cars. I did travel shows. I traveled around India for the BBC and for Star Plus. So, you know, I think that because I opened myself up to experiences, because I said I will stay the course, I nothing sort of other stuff started to happen which helped me come back and a year later my voice was back and I was able to restart and of course it wasn't easy even then because two years went by beautifully and then uh, my mother got cancer and she was detected with lung cancer stage four and that was the hardest time of my life and I think that whole year again I was so determined to make sure she would get well even though she was given four months neither her nor my father nor my family you know my sisters nor I were ready to have her go so we worked very hard and she was just incredible she beat it for eight years and that's really I always talk about that because I think that it just proves that if you really really have faith you can move mountains to quote the bible and I remember when you used to perform jazz and gospel, this is a story you would tell us. And you said that perhaps a mother was one of your greatest influences. Isn't that right? hundred percent. I mean, my mother was my, one of my greatest influences. Like I said, I, I was so fortunate to have, I, I can only wish and pray that every child has the kind of childhood I had. My house was filled with happiness. It was an open house for all our friends. Every one of our friends chose to come to our house rather than go home mm-hmm. to their own parents because it was a house that was so lovely and fun and democratic in so many ways and where children were not only made to feel like they were made to feel like they were seen and that they were people you know which is so important and that they had a place where they could talk a safe space so many of my friends shared their problems with my parents and my mother was so encouraging of my voice and even though there were so many times Shivraj where like I said, I had a different voice. I'm a perfectionist, so I was very critical of myself. I think that she was just so amazing. She used to say to me, she used to say, when you sing, you know, I I cry. And I used to joke with her and I used to say, that's because I sing so badly or whatever. But, you know, she was so encouraging. And it was just, she was such an incredible person, even through her cancer. I mean, I often quote the fact that I remember when towards her last few months when she was so sick, she had the ability even then to see light and darkness. I mean, she called me to her bedside and she said, Sony, look at that squirrel and, you know, look at that bird. It looks like it's talking to the squirrel. She could see stuff like that when you're in agony, you're in pain. You could mm-hmm. see joy. She used to write poetry with when she lost the use of her hand because of a tumor in the brain that had spread to the brain. She was. She used to use one of those Nokia phones. Sorry about this. So um, my mother learned to use her mobile phone, which was like those Nokia phones. She was, would write her haikus and her poems on her phone. And, you know, wow. that's, that's the ability to continue to see joy, you know, even in darkness. And so, yes, one of my greatest inspirations for sure. And my father also, who would never, ever, ever quit Shivraj. He had this incredible poster that used to be up in his room. And I remember this, seeing this growing up. And it was always... It was this very famous one. It said about not quitting. It said, Mm -hmm. when things seem rough, as they sometimes will, 
when the road you're trudging seems all uphill, when the funds are low and the debts are high, and you want to sigh but you have to, sm- and you want to smile but you have to sigh. Rest if you mm. must, but don't you quit. Was, I, I'm not remembering it completely, but it was these beautiful words, and I always think you know he kept it there because he was able to reinvent himself after. He quit his railway job. He started his own business. He never gave up, and and that was something that I learned from him. And you know, Sonu, when I hear you perform or watch you perform, rather, I, I do get that sense that it is deeply personal. And then came the Sufi gospel project, such an interesting confluence of musical genres, spiritual influences. People who don't know, how did that happen? And would you say that that was a turning point? So uh, it's hard. There's so many turning points, right? I think in all our life. Right. I think when I was 20 or 21, when my father, I was 20 when my father had his second cardiac arrest, and that was a very serious one. And I remember him not being in Delhi when that happened. He was in Bangladesh, and it was so weird. My mother showed up at the uh, at my college, and she used to drop by quite often because my college was on Bhagwan Das Road, and my grandmother was in Firozha Road. So you know, every time she was driving by, she'd drop something or whatever. So it was just a, na- a routine visit, but I remember running down the stairs when someone said, "Your mother's come," and as soon as I reached her, I said, "What's wrong with dad?" It's like I knew. And before mm-hmm. he'd left on this trip, I had been worried. So I think when in your twenties your father has a near-death experience, and then that went on to be really uh, very serious because he got okay, his heart got okay, but before he was about to be released from hospital, he start started a massive gastrointestinal bleed. He was in hospital for three months. It was so touch and go. Mostly, everything we'd hear from the doctors is that he's not going to make it. And he three months. Mm. I mean, he lost seventy two units of. He was replenished with seventy two units of blood, plasma, not even blood. So, I mean, it was crazy and chaotic. And he is. He was an absolute miracle when he survived. Even now, the doctors talk about it, but. That was a turning point in my twenties when I realized what really mattered in life. I think all the small stuff that I used to fret, I realized that mm-hmm. none of that really matters. All that really matters is to have the people that you love with you, the love of your parents. You know that they're your whole mm-hmm. world at that age anyway, and I think they always are in so many ways. I realized that. Then my mother falling ill. I think for me, I I've always had faith in God from the time I was a little child. The faith has changed in as much. The understanding that I have of God keeps changing as you gr- grow older. When you're very young, it's so absolute. When you grow older, it's one of acceptance and of a different kind of understanding. But I think when I really did want to, through my music, because I'd been through so much with my parents, when I started singing finally, you know, after Mum got better, I found I was just singing Amazing Grace, and it was weird because I hadn't. Grown up listening to Amazing Grace, I didn't go to a convent school. It wasn't one of my prayer songs, but I just kept on repeating it, and I felt like maybe one of the things I've always done, Shivraj, is to listen, to listen to my inner voice, to listen to, just listen, you know, open my ears. Yeah, and listening is so important to your creativity. Yeah, and to listen to what's around you, to listen to science, to listen for science, to listen to conversations, to what people have to say, and. It's so important for all of us because how do you assimilate if you're not listening, if you're not soaking in? I started listening to the fact that I was singing "Amazing Grace" repeatedly, and I thought maybe I needed to do something with it. And so I think very soon after I started sort of singing it on repeat mode, almost I happened to be on holiday in Singapore, and I passed a music school on my first day. And I thought, why don't I just go to that music school and I ask them if there's a teacher there who can teach me gospel music or "Amazing Grace." 
and they did have a teacher and we did get started i walked into that school expecting to find you know you think gospel and we're all so used to typecasting right and it's mm-hmm. something you catch yourself doing as well even if you don't want to and so i thought i'll have an african american teacher teaching me gospel music there was this big black gentleman who very politely said yes we have a slot and i just assumed the class would be with him and i then walked into the room 10 minutes later and it was with this young red-headed girl who had freckles all over her face and she was 10 years younger than me so every possible stereotype i had she was opposite <laughs> of that you know and she turned out to be one of my loveliest teachers and in, so i i continue to learn and one of the lovely things about i think being a sick do you know that it means sick means student right so as a, as a sick you are also always a student anyway so i started learning from her and then i came back and i would save money and go back and learn again and so i i discovered a lot of gospel music through her which i wanted to learn but through her i discovered jazz as well because she started introducing me to more and more jazz and then i wanted to do broadway because i was interested so strangely enough despite having studied indian classical music through my entire life my first concert was one that i called notes from here and there where i did a whole a selection of gospel broadway and jazz and i think that was surprising to me but it was lovely because it was everything i wanted to sing at that that time it's everything i needed to sing at the time to heal me to find my voice and it was lovely because we just chose a tiny little venue which was supposed to be 140 max seating which was a tiny venue at the india habitat center their basement theater and i think that didn't even advertise it i must have put up a few posters sent messages to friends and we had 300 people and there were wow. like 300 of my friends who turned up and i think habitat had to turn them away because they said we're not allowed to have that many people it's a fire hazard <laughs> and i remember uh, years later when i eventually did the sufi gospel project which i'll get to and tell you how but when i asked them for the same theater because i was debuting a new concept and i was afraid perhaps of how people would respond to it or whether people would even come and they said no i'm sorry we can't give you the small space too many people come for your concerts we're giving you the 452 seater and i was so nervous i said 452 people are you kidding how am i going to fill the space and of course by god's grace that was sold out in fact there also we couldn't let more people in and it was amazing for many years i started i became this crazy sick girl who was singing christian <laughs> gospel, gospel, and, gospel jazz. and jazz and people said like you belong to the sick religion why do you sing christian bhajans and i would find that just so bizarre cuz christian bhajan yeah and i'd say <laughs> how does it matter what way i call out to god in because you know how do you know if god is male or female or what language god wants to be spoken to i have to do what feels right you know i have to call mm-hmm. out to god in the way that feels right for me and at this moment this feels right that happened and i did a lot of festivals and then i think a big turning point would certainly be when i got invited to sing gospel music at the dargah of sufi inayat khan in nizamuddin it was the urz which is the birth celebration of the sufi inayat khan and they said will you come and sing gospel and i think just that very thought to me again i listened to what they said and i listened to where i was and i thought a sick girl who's singing gospel music christian music in a seemingly islamic space now that's got to mean something and there's got to be a reason mm. being given this opportunity and i thought i must do something that is befitting of this opportunity and that's when i started to think about what i could do and i think at first what i did was purely based on intuition you know i i knew the sound i wanted and i knew i would blend gospel 
and some, you know, maybe uh, Indian spiritual music. And I called the Sarangi player and a lot of, I mean, I remember when he started playing in my house with me while I sang Abide with me, that was the first thing we sang together. We played together. I, I was a mix between just smiling from ear to ear and tears streaming down my face because I just knew that that sound intuitively felt right. Mm-hmm. And then after that concert performance, it was just it, people were really moved by that concert, as was I when I was singing it. And for me, another thing, Shivraj, I think a lot of the reactions I have, everything is just if I if I get, I call them not goosebumps, but if I get truth bumps when I'm singing something or reading something or saying something, then I know that it's right. So I trust myself to feel and. You know, if I can continue, if I feel something, then chances are the people will feel it too, you know, because the truth of it will be so real. And so I trust that. I trust that in myself and I trust that in the people, in my listeners, in my in my audience, in people around me. I did that concert and then that last year was rough because my mother it was my mother's last year and she was sick. So we couldn't do much more. Then my mother passed away and I, she used to run a music her- heritage society, which promoted Indian classical music called uh, Sharaj, which is the full form of the first note sa of Indian classical music. And they asked me to do a tribute concert to her. I was not ready, I think, to sing Indian classical music either because I was so devastated. But I said, Mm. sing whatever feels right. And my mother had been saying when she she was able to come for that first concert in the Dargah of Sufi and Ayat Khan, she'd always said to me that when the music is ready, will you put it all on my iPad so I can listen to it? And so I did all of what I would have put on her iPad for her and I created it and worked on it. When I did that concert, I think one of my musicians said to me, present this to the world. And I thought, are you serious? You think they really want to hear it? And he said, trust me. When I did that concert at the Dargah of Sufi and Adkha, when I was leaving Nizamuddin, and I remember very distinctly standing, waiting for my husband to come pick me up, I literally heard the words, the Sufi gospel project in my head. And it was almost like it was a gift that had been granted to me because it all sort of made sense at that moment once I'd finished singing it and I was standing there. So I honestly do believe so much of what I've got, so much of what I still receive are revelations, are gifts, because I'm listening. Hmm. You know, because I'm keeping my heart open and I'm I'm wanting to receive. And also, Sonam, I've noticed over the years that apart from that listening, you've mixed and matched legendary lyrics, popular tunes, and sometimes also created amazing original material to really carry forward a social or political message. Is that critical to what you do as a musician and performer? I think I always wanted to be, and one of the things I said to you, I came to music, came back to music quite late, not only because I'm such a perfectionist, I was able to reach a place where I realized truth was more important than just perfection. And I was able to reach that place because of the fact that I also did theater after my mother's first year of cancer. I needed to vent and I wasn't able to sing because I was so heartbroken. So theater really healed me. And I worked very seriously as an actor as well for many, many years. And one of the things that my teacher, my director, Amal Alana, who was the chairperson of the National School of Drama at the time and had her own repertory, which I was a part of. She said that, you know, to be able to find beauty, there has to be truth in the moment. And I I, Mm. I still carry these words with me because it is so, so true that you can, you know, so often, Shivraj, you will find a perfectly arranged, perfectly auto-tuned, pitch-perfect song that sounds gorgeous, but it leaves you cold. 
and at mm. the same time you'll walk past a street musician who's sitting there with this raw voice the scratchy voice perhaps not singing in perfect pitch yet because he or she is telling their own story it you just you get can't. truth bumps you are, you get as you call them bumps. yes you you mesmerized <laughs> and you have tears streaming down their face because they touch something in you which is true as well which you didn't even know you had or you didn't even know you were bottling up right mm. so to me i think once i was able to do that i was also sure i think that my music had to have a message it had to talk about who i was what i believed in the change i wanted to see around me and every time you know i i've been so lucky to sing in places where this this belief has been reinstated when i sang in in pakistan at fair sahab's peace festival fair wow. there's first peace festival and i was able to sing his own poetry there i remember an exhibition of his life and i had tears streaming down my face even then because yeah so that was my question i mean you've traveled the world performed publicly and in private gigs and if i were to ask you what your most memorable experiences was would, would that pakistan trip really qualify because you know when i went to pakistan for instance and i went to the iqbal elama tomb it brought back a lot of memories because our school song was lappe aati hai and we forget that sare jahan se acha was also his right yeah sare jahan se acha is absolutely his but the thing is it's hard for me when you ask me what my most memorable is there've been so many i mean there was jahan e khusro where i got to climb onto the same stage and sing wow. before abidaji and get a standing ovation i mean i was certain that i was going to sing before abidaji and how would i would pale in comparison i was nervous and she was of course was the most incredible human being because i met her before to take her blessings and i have never met someone who has blessed me with the kind of love that she did and i got onto that stage and i remember the minute i put my first step onto that stage i knew my whole world was in equilibrium for that that hour that i sang wow. hour and a half there's been that there's been singing in front of the pyramids i mean never in my world wow. that i imagined i would do that there was singing at the sydney opera house i mean to have a standing ovation in the sydney opera house on the eve of my mother's birthday what could be more beautiful it was a perfect tribute to her my first concert where i sang at the india habitat center when i presented the sufi gospel project and we got a standing ovation and when it ended everyone went silent and there was this perfectly choreographed orchestrated moment almost by god where an old lady says loud enough for the entire audience to hear in that moment of silence she says straight from your lips to god's heart my child and again i had i felt like my mother had heard me from heaven so you know there've been and of course fares uh, to go to pakistan to cross the border by foot to stand there with one foot on either side to realize the futility of of partition and then to have that moment to be able to go there to perform fair sahab's music to get the kind of love we got in pakistan the understanding to, i mean every single moment shivraj even the lockdown song to be able to do it myself on the terrace of my house shoot mm. everything put my phone into the refrigerator because it kept heating up i mean every moment big or small in this journey is memorable so it's when people say you know what was your best concert i said this entire this entire gift of music from the time that i started singing publicly or believed that i am a musician and taken it on seriously every bit of that has been memorable not to mention the fact that as memorable has been my memory of sitting in my mother's lap when i was 4 years old listening mm. to bega on those old spool records and that chair is still in my room i mean i was sitting on it 5 minutes ago when i was talking to you and i just moved because the dogs were barking but everything i think music has made every memory that attached to it memorable and given me so much that i can you know it would be i don't even think the word grateful does it justice 
But you know, it is really a project for you now, and it's something that's grown so popular. And I can see that it consumes almost every pore of you. Yet you juggle this with your six kids and an entrepreneurial husband, and. Then this situation we find ourselves in. Now, of course, our listeners must be wondering, "Oh my God, she has six kids!" Can you explain to us what I meant yes. by that? So I have six beautiful children. Um, all six of them were four-legged to start with. Now one of them stands on her two legs. She's no longer crawling, but the remaining five still are four-legged because they're doggies. My dog babies are Garber, Chetni, Larka, Larki, and Shokra, and my little daughter's called Noor. and they are exactly my children i think i got asked very early on when noor was born i got mm-hmm. asked by let me not say typical because that's unfair but other moms who perhaps don't understand what it's like to be a dog mother and i know you get it but mm-hmm. i got asked how does it feel to be a mother now sonam and <gasps> i very politely said uh, i said look no offense to you but i've always been a mother and i don't appreciate <laughs> this question and they looked at me with surprise they said no but what do you mean I said, as far as my earliest photograph is of me when I think I'm six months or eight months, and I've just learned to sit, and I'm in my lap on the garden in front of me are lots of little puppies, and you can see the absolute mm. joy on my face, and that's how I've always felt about dogs. And so I said, I've always been a mother, and then it made me think. Of course, they told me, um, they told me that no, no, it's not the same thing. I said, look, for you maybe it isn't, but it's you who don't mm, get to decide. That's sacrilegious. For me. You don't get to decide for me that I'm going to feel differently. So for me, it is. So they said no, no, and I said no. I'm sorry, you know, I don't accept this. For me, it really is the same thing. But then it also made me think, Shivraj, that why is it that everything? And this is what we like to do as people. And this is again one of the things that I miss. I try and break with the Sufi Gospel Project. This horrible habit that we have of labeling things that you are mm. you are sick, you are Muslim, you are straight, you are gay, you are a mother, you are a working woman, you are a housewife. You know all these horrible things that we tend to. Mm. And I say they're horrible not because they're bad in themselves as labels. They tend to box you in. I mean, mm. why can't you be, for example, you can you can be a housewife and you can be gay and you can be a rap star. You know what I mean? You can be many. Mm. Who decides that we only get to be one thing at once? Which is why the Sufi Gospel Project isn't one thing at once. And for me, I realize we've all, in some ways, at least I know from personal experience, and I know there are many like me. We've you're a fantastic dog mother, right? I know mm. we've all been mothers in so many ways. I have been a mother exactly. to so many friends. I as we grow older, we become mothers to our own mothers. Mm. So who decides when you become a mother? So even that as a statement, what does it feel like to be a mother? I said I've always been a mother. You can have a maternal instinct from the time you're born, and sometimes you can have no maternal instinct, and that's and okay. sometimes it nurtures your creativity as well. Yeah, and you can have no maternal instinct, and that doesn't make you a bad person either. You know. And I can see some of them are musical too, because they 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 can sense we're talking about music. Yeah, and they know we're talking about them, so they're saying yes, yes, she's our mama, she's our mama. I think that when you know that, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> so let's return to the original theme of this conversation the lockdown and what it's done to the creative community first up yeah. how have these past 6 months been for you you know they've been interesting i i think for the most part if i had to look look at them um objectively i would say they've been great for the simple reason that i have learned i've been forced to learn stuff that i always thought i didn't have the time for or i was intimidated by you know sometimes you just because we all live in a world which is so technology heavy we feel mm-hmm. like we can only imbibe that much stuff right we're like no 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 i don't want to learn this i'll just outsource it to someone 
and you realized mm. you needed to do it all yourself there was no outsourcing so you know what mm. and it's been a very good thing because as we grow older we also tend to feel like i don't want to learn anything more which is the worst thing we can do right worst thing because you stop i mean your your life stops if you don't learn you're comfortable you're in your comfort zone you have enough knowledge you think i don't need more but you know what this was a great reminder that i'm sorry you know what get up learn more and do it quickly so i was fairly quick to get on to understanding technology at least i knew for a fact that the first month that this happened and a lot of musicians were going out there doing facebook lives and all of that i knew for a fact shivraj that i didn't want to sing off a off a telephone mic because i said after mm. all the years of work that i've put into trying to have a sound that i like or that i mm. work hard to put out i was not going to be putting out a sound that made me sound like an amateur and i only say amateur because the end of the day it's a mono mic it's going to sound it's going to be treble heavy it's going to sound sharp so why should i do that to myself i would rather not sing for a while than ruin the product that i have created you know or the voice that i worked hard to sort of achieve yeah so i didn't i didn't sing in the beginning the other main reason i didn't sing so much in the beginning the first month i'm talking about is i said we have to stop putting out free content because the minute mm. the artists we start putting out free content people are people love free things we all do Mm. people are going to say oh great we can ask them to keep singing for free and sure enough that's exactly what happened everybody started artists asking artists for, to perform for free and then if you asked for even a token honorarium because you understood that everyone was going through covid and they couldn't pay you the kind mm-hmm. of fee that you actually deserved or demanded people looked at you and said but they're doing it for free and i said but that's not fair to them You know and I remember a social media post you put out just to that effect a while ago on Facebook where you said so you're willing to still spend on the accoutrements and the niceties but you're not willing to pay for people's creativity and contribution to you. Yeah and to make your life better and that it upsets me that the arts doesn't get the kind of respect it should. Now mm. all very well for people who you know fold hands in front of artists and all but at this time where is all that gone? Where mm. has it all gone? When people have made art, has made the lockdown livable. You have not been able to engage with people. Exactly. People have gone back to listening to music, to doing wonderful things that they could. So many people have started learning music. Why do we not understand the value that art adds to your life? You remember those beautiful videos of people singing in Italy to their neighbors? That was art. Mm. How did people get through that very hard time when Italy was locked down so badly? It's all art, and we have to understand the value it does. Even when we, if we stop to think. in schools how are we taught verses hmm. by song through music how are we taught hmm. our multiplication tables in rhythm rhyme. by rote by rhyme so what is all of that that's art if you didn't teach it like that and it would it would totally it would not it would not you know we wouldn't learn it the way we did so many programs work with helping people in terms of therapy with music right children with mm-hmm. autism i mean there is so much scientific exactly. scientific finding that says that art helps you i mean just basically you know that music releases dopamine that's your happy hormone so why mm. is my why is why are they saying it's if that we don't want to spend money on it i i started to see this happen and very early i saw this trend of people saying free 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 and artists mm-hmm. also panicking thinking how do we stay relevant so let's put out everything for free and i wanted to tell so many of you know my contemporaries that not to panic and say that look mm-hmm. hold mm-hmm. on it's going to get okay in terms of if you if you respect your art other people will too right but i think people just yeah and 
And Sonam, it's particularly tough for talent coming to cities from different parts of the country in search for work. They've been here. It's almost like the migrant workers, right? It's important to give voice to those concerns too. It is. And I and like I said, it's fantastic. Teamwork Arts has just done this incredible fundraiser where they've managed to raise 48 lakhs for indigenous uh, wow. artists and musicians. But you know, Shivraj, what was amazing is it was a concert for artists by artists where all of us came together to help raise funds. But whenever there's a pandemic or a mm, catastrophe, mm. artists raise funds for everything from a cyclone to, you know, other charities. Why don't other people raise funds for artists? You know, it's all very well that people, fortunately, at least people donated, you know, so corporates donated, individuals donated. But there should have been much more that was done. And how are you planning to take that message forward? Because, of course, lockdown song happened, the teamwork, big fundraiser happened. And I know you're not someone to sit down and and stop. You're someone who always takes things forward. So I have been doing a lot of every every possible platform that I get a chance to speak. I make sure I talk about this every single interview. I make sure which artists are also listening to in the hope that they understand that they need to start saying, look, it's time. It's time for you to start paying us again because we have families to feed. I try and talk to my my own accompanying musicians or to people in the community to say, do the same thing. I do want to get, at some point, also start a series of concerts, which we can do, which would be like socially distant concerts. And I've been Mm. talking to an event company that might partner with me on this. And in that case, we'll be able to start creating safe spaces for people to start attending music concerts again and trying to find livelihood for musicians again. So that will happen quickly taught myself technology to make sure that the audio output I gave was as mm. close to live as I could possibly get it to be. And mm. that's, I think, when it switched for me. There was a little switch in my head that went off when I realized that this was actually very interesting because it made me realize I could reach some audiences that I would not mm. possibly have been able to reach. With the partition show that I did, we were able to reach, we reached on one show, we reached the UK, the US, wow. and Bangladesh and parts of India. And it was really exciting for me I said, you know, at least people should also start to feel, because it is depressing to be locked in at home. There's no taking away from that. But if music has to bring you joy, then I said, let me go that extra mile and try and find a way to give them a little more joy. So we've been trying like everyone else, but I have new way of things, yeah. new way of doing things and still and still having the thrill of a live yeah, audience. And I'm still right? trying because for me, you, I mean, one of the things, early, early learnings of this lockdown is, you know, understanding what Darwin said, which was the survival of the fittest, not just mm. not in terms of being competitive, but the survival of the fittest as in learning to evolve and being kicked out of your comfort zone. You know, it's it's been a good and I, for lack of a better phrase, kick in the butt for everyone because it's realized <laughs> made us realize a lot of really important things. We've realized we can't sit around. We have to keep learning. We've realized what really matters, that we can live without so much we thought we couldn't live without. We've realized the people and the relationships that really matter. And we've realized the value of life once again, which we had started to take for granted because we got so busy with this onslaught of social media. And the lovely thing is that even though now people are so dependent on technology with Zoom and you know the podcast you're doing or say even Instagram, mm-hmm. yet I find many people that I'm speaking to who say, you know what, we've got a no phone hour or we've got a no computer mm-hmm. hour because they're with their family. Mm. So what plans for the future, Sonam? Any new material? You know, Shivraj, I used to say this earlier. I used to say, don't make plans for the future because I think I realized at a very early age that you can't decide what the future does for you. Uh, mm-hmm. But you do plan. I mean, I, 
I have a lot of new songs in the pipeline which I've written, which are half recorded, which I'd recorded before COVID, but I hadn't finished the vocals on. So there are almost eight songs, believe it or not, which are recorded and I need to go into the studio. But I haven't been going into the studio because I've been wanting to be careful. I did go in quite recently to record for HCL when they did an HCL concert. So I recorded a live stream and that was exciting and frightening because I was with my musicians after six months. But we maintain social distance and so far, Touchwood, we're all okay. And when things get better, maybe I'll go into a studio and finish as well the songs that are out there. But there are some beautiful songs. And I say beautiful because I think that their lyric is is really of value with, again, messages, you know, whether it's one is a traditional Kabir piece. It's traditional in as much that it's a verse that not many people sing and I happen to find it again. I keep saying I find have revelations. I've had this book for years, which was given to me by my, wasn't even given. I think my guru was clearing out some of her old books and I picked it up because I liked the calligraphy on the book. And I said, I'm going to read it one day. And I never did for many years. And one evening, I think I wanted to compose something. So I this I, I picked up the book and I said to myself, I hope I find the poem that I'm looking for or what I meant to find. And I found it. And it was really quite special to be able to find that. The point is for a musician to not be able to express yourself. That's mm. probably the most heartbreaking. So it's really been a shutting down of voice for so many people. And mm. people don't understand that, that the depression that's caused musicians. And I say this to perhaps even your listeners, if the weather is better, have a couple of musicians come to your terrace, just allow them the space to perform. Don't just give them the exposure. Please give them a token honorarium. But call them over. Have better at home. Let's go back to the older style of mm. Betuks where 20 people come and really soak in the music. It's important for your own soul. It's important for the musician's soul. You're su- you'll be supporting the arts. Just do it. So finally, we're all about the holistic experience and leaving listeners with something to really think about over the weekend. In these strange times, Sonam, what is your one message? You know, I was talking to a friend just yesterday, so I think I'm going to make that the message. And I was talking about how when we were growing up, we had all these prerequisites that we wanted our friends to have. You know, you chose your friends mm. because they were funny or because they were cool or the coolest person or the funniest or the, you know, you had different reasons. As mm. I've grown older and I've lived through life in so many different ways, like I said, I've lost both my parents. I've, I've lived through the tsunami. I was underwater. I've, I've lived through the 1984 riots. I think the one thing that we all need to remember, which we don't give enough importance to and it's underrated and it really should be the one thing we focus on is be kind, kind to everyone around you. You don't own the earth. You are not the, as human beings, we are not the only creatures that are entitled to the earth. So be kind to animals, be kind to the earth. If you understand Mm. what namaste means, I mean, it means I see the divinity in you. And if you can truly live that, it will be very healthy for you COVID-wise as well, but it's really healthy for your soul. And it's... And I think more importantly, just be kind to yourself, Sonam. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. Be kind to yourself. We are so harsh on ourselves. Be kind. Allow yourself the space. It's okay if you want to take a day off. It's okay if you feel bad. It's okay. Whatever you feel, acknowledge it. Accept it. Accept your flaws. Accept that you will sometimes and you won't sometimes. That's the one thing I've realized that in this time, the importance of needing to be kind. Thank you, Sonam, once again for being part of this conversation, being our first guest on the weekend playlist. I'm so thrilled and I'm so proud of you for doing these conversations. I think one of the biggest things that can come about 
biggest change comes about in society in life through dialogue and so thank you for starting the dialogue and keeping the dialogue going introduce us to similar folks you'd like featured by writing to me at shivraj@bravis.in or even by sending me a voice message that's right we're all about hearing from you you can send your voice messages on plus 919625475442 i repeat plus 919625475442 or you could also send me your number and i can add you to my subscriber list on whatsapp don't forget to keep a lookout for the next big weekend playlist episode have a great weekend and the rest of your week